Hello and welcome to episode 428 of the Crate and Crowbar Gaming Podcast, being recorded on the 16th of November. My name is Marsh Davis, a terrible fiction beyond the power of mere words to describe summoned from the sick, sick mind of a troubled writer and made into a blasphemy of flesh. Who could that disturbed word wanker be? I talk of none other than Jamie Britton. Welcome, Jamie, to your nightmare, I guess. <laughs> I'm sitting I'm sitting in my kitchen, sitting in front of my laptop. There's a microphone in front of me, and there's a man in my ears. I don't know who the man is. He says his name is Marsh, but maybe his name is Marsh. I don't know. Anyway, maybe this is all my story, or maybe this is someone else's. Maybe it's just a whole lot of bollocks. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. Maybe. If you haven't guessed... That is a perfect pastiche of Alan Wake 2, a game itself, which is itself a pastiche of uh, every horror novel ever written, I guess. How have you enjoyed it, Jamie? I'm going to annoy, I think, a few people uh, talking about this game. Um, It's been very celebrated in the uh, Crate and Crowbar Discord, um, including by Kane, who, for reasons I can't quite account for, I trust more than most like close family members. But he loved it, <laughs> and it's his, it's his game of the year, I think he was saying. So I was like, all right, I better get on this game. And it is a game, in case you don't know, it's a survival horror from Remedy, the sequel to uh, Alan Wake 1 and Alan Wake's New Nightmare, both featuring the deeply tedious Stephen King pastiche that you mentioned um, and his exploits in the Dark Realms. Uh, And for this game, Remedy have gone kind of all in. And I would say to its credit, it's one of those games which does feel pretty unique. Um, It feels like they made exactly the game they wanted to make. I don't think that is a good thing. But they definitely made the game that they wanted to make, I think or at least the first two thirds of it. Um, I, <laughs> I Is it was worth not synopsizing what, what it, what it's about. Uh, just yeah, in case sure. People, Cause I don't know if I, cause it, all the trailers for it was so cryptic that I think you'd have to have understood what had happened in Alan Wake one to really get a sense of it. Other than the fact, Oh, it's a bit spooky. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's funny because even in doing that, you run into one of the main problems with the Alan, Alan Wakeverse. I know they want to call wanted want it to be called the Remedy Connected Universe. I'm not doing that. It's the Alaniverse uh, or nothing. The Wakefield, you might say. Absolutely. That's also good. The Wakefield. <laughs> Just in South Yorkshire. Um, Lovely at this time of year. Alan was a writer who encountered a sort of dark entity who sucked his wife into a cosmic um, black hole under a lake in a sort of Twin Peaks style uh, small small town and that happened in the first game basically that was most of the first game and basically the games are uh, about fighting off ill-defined forces of darkness often using literally using a torch using light and it has this whole kind of cosmology under it which is I think it sort of believes itself to be a sort of Stephen King sort of level uh, you know uh, kind of mythos but really I don't think has that much to it. And I think Alan Wake 2, one of its major flaws, is it tries to unpack that on cosm- that kind of cosmology and that kind of universe and gets really lost am- along the way. So anyway, Alan Wake was kind of made in like 2012, 2013, so 10 years ago. Uh, oh, no, 2010, a while back. And since then they've made, you know, Quantum Break and Control and they've been 
I think, really on it with their visual spectacle. And I think Alan Wake 2 is the real apotheosis of their special effects department, to be honest. Like, I think that's the thing that makes the game really sing, is the moments when they have this kind of audio-visual kind of splendor kind of coming at you at all angles with all sorts of mixed media and real video shot and and kind of crazy effects and uh, transitions within the game between zones and between worlds. And I think when that's in full flight, um, it's really special. To set the scene of the game itself... uh, 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 you play alternately as Saga Anderson, a sort of FBI agent uh, sent to investigate. Again, it's all very Twin Peaks. Some, you know, kind of culty murders going down in small town America. And then once you've uh, dragged Alan Wake out of the nightmare dimension in which he's been cast, you play as him as well, uh, flashing back to his journey out of um, said dimension. There are survival horror dynamics in there where you're um, shining your torch at people and then shooting them. It <laughs> uh, doesn't really get more complicated than that, to be honest. Um, there's quite involved weapon customizations and sort of sort of a trinket system, you would call it, in another game. And then there's also a sort of mystery-solving element where you go into the, the mind place of uh, Saga Anderson and join things together on a corkboard with bits of red string. Um, which is Tom Francis's favorite thing, I believe. Um, and this game kind of makes a mockery of it. Um, it's like a shit version of what you do in the excellent upcoming <laughs> Tactical Breach Wizards, actually. It's very, very similar. Um, <laughs> but in that game, it's kind of an excellent little mini game you play between missions. And in this, it's a really fundamental core part of the game which doesn't really serve any purpose i actually hate that part of the game i think and it's weird because that's not the part of the game i expected to not enjoy <laughs> um there are, i've historically had you know various difficulties with remedy's previous games but actually just that the way it has uh encapsulated the idea of investigation here is is it's uh is, is the thing that's p- turned me off it the most. Like, it has all these affordances to express the process of an investigation, like collecting of evidence, and then, as you say, going into this mind palace and this pin board. But I know that's a great idea, but it's but at no point is the player involved in that process in an intellectual capacity. Like, you, you do not make any deductions, or to use the more correct term, abductions, Jamie. Um, <laughs> that you were, you pick up things that you have to pick up and then you put the evidence in the only place on the board they will go, which is not necessarily where you would logically put it because sometimes the, the terminologies used would more obviously categorize the thing you're trying to place in a different area of the board. But no, you can't put it there. You have to put it here. And then your character, neither you nor your character will make any useful progressive conclusions from the stuff you've collected during the investigation. That's what's so striking about it. None of the stuff you collect or put on the board gets you to a greater level of realization. You make no inferences from that stuff. Instead, having done that, you're gifted an insight the player couldn't possibly intuit by communing with some sort of psychic ghost. (laughs) And the ghost just gives her the next clue, and that's it. And, and nothing that you've, nothing in the scene you've played shapes the investigation's direction. It just completely leapfrogs the player's participation in the puzzle of the crime. And it does it again and again and again. It's so exasperating. I just sat there going, let me figure something out. 
but it never did. So, but but I'm, you know, I'm sorry, I, I don't. It's quite right. That's my main. That that is that is my main bugbear of the game. There are many other things to enjoy in it. I should say, but for some reason that stuck out at me because maybe because I've just been playing so many uh, puzzle and detective-y adjacent games recently that yeah. coming to this and then having all this kind of this rich mystery and then not being allowed to do anything about it really really rubbed me up the wrong way. How far did you get with the game? Not hugely further, like t- two hours in, I think. There's a yeah. there's a boss battle uh, which offers you the real puzzle of the game, which is trying to guess the arbitrary number of bullets you have to shoot into a boss without any feedback <laughs> it is being effective while running through an endless procedural maze. Um, and uh, after that, I, I think I quit. <laughs> and not not because I don't intend to go back to it, but just got, I got distracted by games that I was that was I was enjoying more. So I haven't returned to it, but. Yeah. yeah, so I'll come back to the mind place because it is sort of part of the the main thing I want to get to with Alan Wake 2. So this game has received like rave reviews across the board, like really done very well indeed. It's got, you know, 10 out of 10s, 9 out of 10s, pretty much everywhere. Only a couple of outliers really in terms of like you're a gamer gave it a three. Um, it's done really well. And most everyone I've spoken to about it is is completely in love with it. And for my first few hours with it, I was I was absolutely feeling that. I really enjoyed. Mm. I love I love the opening, where oh, you get to see a, get to see a fat man's willy. Um, oh, I, I genuinely I thought I thought I started playing that. I thought I am in for a treat. I uh, this is gonna be a game of the year. <laughs> yeah, it's just I mean, it's in, I mean, throughout the game is extraordinarily visually powerful. Like the, it looks phenomenal. They know how to re- render the meniscus of an eye. Do remedy, but like the environments are superbly drawn. I really enjoyed piloting a fat naked man <laughs> and trying mm-hmm. to angle him so that I could see the car headlamp glint off his small greasy penis in the half dark of a lakeside forest. That was. For me, that is art. Absolutely. Uh, but yeah, sorry. Uh, you were saying something of substance. <laughs> no, 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 please. Please do dive in, especially when I talk about a fat man's willy. Um, so yes, it makes an incredibly good first impression. This, this, everything that you're kind of encountering, I think, in the first couple of hours, like, for example, the use of Sam Lake, the <laughs> creative director at Remedy, who is the model for your partner and also for uh, uh, Max Payne and... You know, I always found that, or at least initially, at least, quite a joy because he's such a part of sort of video gaming and specifically PC gaming history that I do find it funny. And I do think he sort of earned his right to be in his game, although they go a long way with that, uh, like a much more weirder, much more ridiculous version of it. But I think the game in its first act, yeah, it makes a really good impression. Once you've kind of um, encountered Alan and you go into the other realm there is one particular level which as soon as i say that everyone who's listening who's played it knows exactly what i'm talking about which is just mind-blowing it is a big musical number which uses mixed media to uh, an incredibly effective extent i was laughing and practically cheering throughout the entire thing it was just so mad and joyous and brilliant and one of the best things i think i've one of the best sort of individual sequences I can remember from a game. Just marvellous. Um, and so ridiculous and funny and bold and stupid and knowingly so about all of those things. And I just thought, wow, this is this is something I've never seen before, this, this sequence. 
the game, I think, kind of basks in the afterglow of the things that sort of really work in its opening moments and in that musical sequence. It basks in the afterglow of that for a long, long time. And it takes a long time for the light of those things to fade away. But when it fades away, boy, does it fade away. This is a game with pretty severe problems with regards to its world, its world building, and its storytelling. And I want to talk about those two aspects by comparing it to um, two modern literary masterpieces. One, the uh, the third series of Twin Peaks, titled The Return. Um, the other, the steamed hams sketch from 22 short films about Springfield, um, which is obviously the, the greater of the two works. So <laughs> in that... Uh, there are, uh, as if anyone has not seen it, <laughs> it is a short sort of vignette in an episode of The Simpsons where uh, everyone's seen it. It's fine, um, but what it what it's it's based around this incredibly perfect comedic structure, right? There are a series of lies which are probed but then accepted, and that leads to a kind of you know, and the house is burning down basically. And it, what makes it so fun is that every lie is introduced, developed, probed and tested, and then accepted. And that builds and builds and builds to this kind of glorious end. Alan Wake is kind of a horror story version of that. It, But it does it to no purpose whatsoever. It keeps introducing new ideas. As, as it closes in on the final third of the game, one after another after another, new ideas, new concepts, all of which are supposed to be additive to the cosmology or the characters or the story that we're playing through, but all of which just add extra levels of complication. It's sort of the it's sort of the kind of chaotic um, evil version of of uh, steamed hams because <laughs> everything just gets really really out of control. It seems like. Uh, when you first see these aspects, when you first see these elements, these creative, you know, um, personifications of dreams and nightmares and, and, and different versions of reality and looping time things, it seems like these are to a purpose. But what happens is as they stack on top of each other more and more and more, the whole game becomes thinner and thinner and thinner until by the very end of the game, it's just incoherent. It's incoherent and boring and tedious, and it attempts to kind of cover itself with a kind of level of Lynchian obscurity um, to kind of make you think, well, remember how in Twin Peaks they didn't explain everything? That's what we're doing here. But they're falling into this terrible uncanny valley where they're explaining just enough for you to know that they just haven't done the sums. They haven't done the working out, and they're winging it. They're winging it through this story. And every time they come up against something that doesn't quite make sense, they um, they add another thing that doesn't make sense, and then another, and then another. And there's lots of amazing, like, um, light, uh, you know, uh, smoke and mirrors they use to cover that up. But after a while, I was just so annoyed by it. I was so annoyed by what seemed to me the lack of discipline work that had gone into this story. Um I love a story that refuses to answer its own questions if that's to a purpose. 
But a game that is about the subjective nature and stories. And are we all in stories or am I just a story? Am I writing a story or is someone else writing a story? It goes on and on and on at length about that. Dropping characters and plot lines and aspects as it goes whilst adding new ones. And it's just, I just found it to be just a, just a mess, really. There are, you know, certain characters that it introduces if they're going to be incredibly significant and then has really nothing else to do with them um, for the rest of the game. And it all builds to this final hour, which just feels, yeah, really rushed. Um, The concepts, uh, the new concepts are coming kind of really thick and fast by then. And, you know, to bring it back to the mind place, it culminates in a kind of final sequence in the mind place where I'm just like... What am I doing here? I'm 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 just sort of following a kind of glorified QTE motion of sticking up these things on this board while my character comes to some sort of emotional understanding which has not been established or nurtured or or kind of developed throughout the game. It's just a series of things that come together. And to use Alan Wake as the kind of unifying presence in this game is such a mistake because he's such a dickhead. He's so rubbish. He's got nothing to offer. He's got nothing to say for himself. He's just this guy. And I like the actor who plays him and I like his performance, but like, why do we care about Alan Wake? How is he significant to anything? Why is he the guy saving the world? Um, And so I just found it pretty exasperating. It went from being this game that I genuinely was really loving at the start of to this game that really Mm. just wouldn't get out of its own way in terms of its conceptual soup. And I think to bring it into Twin Peaks Series 3, which I really do think, like I'm kind of ambivalent about quite a lot of Twin Peaks, you know, after the first sort of rush of episodes and uh, when it kind of, you know, was less about murderous stuff and more about just people being weird in in woods. Um, But I thought that Twin Peaks The Return, I think it's still my favourite TV show I've ever seen. Just remind me, is is that the 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 recent, more recent? That's the recent one. Yeah, okay, that's the one yeah, they did. I just can remember just, it was subtitled. Fire yeah, Walk the, with Me was what a standalone film. Fire Walk with Me, yeah, was the film that, that David Lynch made for um, uh, sort of the Japanese market because it was so popular in J- Japan. They were able to get funding to make Fire Walk with Me, which is a thoroughly unpleasant and upsetting movie if ever there was <laughs> one. And uh, Twin Peaks: The Return kind of um, picks up a lot from that. The thing I love about Twin Peaks The Return is that, and it's it's the same story. It's the same story. Even the book that Alan Wake or was it really me or was it my evil double who for some reason was supposed to be scared of, his writing is called Return, which I think is a direct um, reference to Twin Peaks The Return. And they essentially tell exactly the same story, which is at the end of Twin Peaks, Agent Cooper, Karma Clacklin has been sent to the Black Lodge, which is the... The, the room with the drapes and the and the, the parquet flooring with that iconic pattern on it and sort of banished there for an amount of time. And then as Twin Peaks The Return is about him escaping from that, which it does in all sorts of frightening and unnerving and brilliant ways. It makes the idea of moving from one world into another deeply painful and upsetting and... Um, like a, an incredibly difficult thing to do. Like you're pushing against all the, all of the forces of nature. And it uses that to talk about violence and evil, I think, in a really compelling way. 
I think Twin Peaks has this fantastic idea at this at its center that when terrible acts of violence are committed, you know, when when you know beautiful young women are killed in horrific cultic ceremonies, something is broken that can't be fixed. You know that that makes a mark on the world, which is 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 very very difficult to recover from in any way. And and the characters in Twin Peaks, especially in the Return, are sort of trying to push back against these things, these things that they think that they can undo. And all they find is that the, you lose yourself more and more. It kind of has this really kind of touching, almost sentimental attitude towards kindness. And, and kind of basic human decency against the forces of demonic evil. And I think Twin Peaks The Return makes that very literal. Alan Wake 2 tells exactly the same story about a guy trying to make it back from his dark place. But it has no rigor in, in its thematics or in its um, storytelling. It just becomes an exercise in futility and not in a good way. So even though I really respect the amount of ideas they have in that game, the performances are all great. There's a good game to be had there somewhere. They just didn't make that game. Um, and I don't quite know why not, but I kind of wish they'd, they, they had more going on under the hood because for me as an experience, it felt very, very thin to the point of kind of hysteria, to be honest. And it has an ending which kind of, it does that thing where it like purports to have the weight of 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 something powerful and ambiguous and and monumental without having anything to back it up whatsoever. Hmm. I mean, in some ways, what you're describing, uh, <laughs> although you've described it in, in negative terms, that that is quite alluring to me. The idea that there is a lot in this game, because uh, my fear for it. Um, uh, not not specifically based on the on the on what I've played of it so far, but certainly what I played of Alan Wake like, One is that it just trades in pastiche, um, in a sort of unremarkable, unexamined way. In the same way that you know, like Max Payne is just like a you know a collage of schlocky tropes from the noir genre that don't really elucidate or illuminate anything interesting about noir genre, just repeat them for the sake of reference. And my fear with Alan Wake two would was that it would just end up doing that because i out of the gate it has you know you're playing a character called saga there's a famous scandi noir tv detective by the same name and this saga that you play as has a knit sweater like another famous scandi noir tv detective and i was worrying that that it was just and and obviously there's twin peaks direct twin peaks references and oh they like to drink coffee etc and I, i was I was, I was fearful that it wouldn't do anything more than just repeat stuff to let you know that you'd watch the same television as it. Um, does it, I mean, you talk about this, this deluge of, of newness and all these ideas, even if you don't think they're successful, do you think that it pushes beyond just kind of rote repetition in, in terms of the way it's not exactly satirizing, but repeating the tropes of, of, uh, horror fiction yeah it absolutely does do that it really (laughs) and and this is yeah it is good it's why i can't condemn it and and perhaps why i'm getting so frustrated about it because they are definitely trying to go deeper than pastiche they're definitely trying to 
include things that they really care about that they really thought about there's loads of like specifically finnish mythology in there which is fascinating um as well as kind of various scandinavian things there's you know there are uh there are things that they are trying and things that they are evoking which come from a deeper place than mere um mere pastiche or, or satire or parody they are genuinely trying i think to to make something um with thematic depth i think the real problem with that is that with alan wake as your kind of window onto this world or in some ways the kind of you know the force behind this world the person who's shaping it he is just not compelling enough to to take us into that um I think the game is admirable in how much it goes for, um, but I think it's you know quite possibly overscoped in that in that regard. Um, it kind of wants to be everything, um, and I think struggles to meet those goals. Why isn't Alan Wake a compelling character for you? I think it's the I think it's the voiceover. He actually is kind of a compelling character if he shuts the fuck up. Like I'm, he is an interesting character with an interesting backstory, and his place in the world is interesting. There's never really been a video game character like him, but his tendency to monologue, um, which again the game is quite happy to to point out, is you know and 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 make reference to, and and kind of you know the game is very very playful with itself and very eager to make fun of itself. Um, you know, even at the end of the game, you know, there's a sort of I won't spoil it, but like. You know, Alan says, "Oh wow, there's a there's a Deus Ex Machina happening now." You know, oh, no. and it's like <laughs> it doesn't, do. doesn't make doesn't make it okay to point it out. You know, um, so mm. I I I think that is the problem again. Like I like the actor who plays him. You see a lot of you know genuine footage of the of the guy, and it's you know it, there's nothing wrong with the character really. But again, the application of him the presentation of him at the center of this grandiose Lovecraftian uh, mythos is just a little bit uh, wrong. He's just not that into, <laughs> uh, into uh, you know, this world. It just doesn't make quite make sense to have him as the figurehead of it. I mean, I don't want to uh, force you to spoil the game, but my assumption is that the, uh, that this is a sort of monsters from the Eared Tempest thing. For me, that sort of sets off some uh, uh, alarm bells in that I, I feel like uh, the the act of writing is often overvalorized by writers themselves. And uh, the uh, the idea of, you know, a troubled writer making manifest his demons, it just uh, seems a sort of way of b- bigging up the art of writing into some act of great conjuration, which... You know, which it isn't really. Yeah, I mean, even Stephen King has st- stopped doing that a couple of, couple of decades ago. I think he, he finally hung up the idea of <laughs> uh, tortured writers, uh, you know, going going to a cabin to retreat and finding their demons are there waiting for them. Blah blah blah. Which again is exactly the plot of this of this game. It does have that tendency, um, but again, it also wants to not have that tendency too. It wants to hold. Um, the pretense of Alan Wake as a kind of badge of honor and kind of celebrate it and kind of say, yeah, we know how silly this is. We're aware of how silly this is, but we want to sell you that silliness whilst also selling you the the kind of heart of it and the story of it. And I think 
again, that's a that's a problem. It can't can't really be. A, I mean, there are things that exist mm. that are a parody of a thing and a really excellent exemplar of the thing itself. Well, Twin I Peaks. I don't think Twin Peaks I mean, is, that, is, I mean, is absolutely that. Extraordinarily intentionally corny in some of some of the ways it uh, you know um, parodies uh, daytime television tropes, for example, and yet at the same time it is also uh, a mesmerizing and terrifying <laughs> journey into the unknown. Although I, I think one of the th- things I have in general about things that um, nod to Twin Peaks is that Twin Peaks, even though it is taking apart uh, like procedurals and, and horror and it's, uh, you know, and, and daytime television, like it also is incredibly new in all the things it does. It's always quite surprising uh, and with with the return, like uh, no, talk around it, not to spoil it, but like it does some things with some of the main cast that no one could have possibly predicted, <laughs> and are extraordinarily annoying. Like it's it's so fearless, and I don't think you you get to that kind of place if what you're doing is just discursive of the stuff that's become before you yeah do you th- do you th- i mean do you think that it, it, alan wake manages to to sort of escape that and does actually push the envelope in in sort of areas i think it pushes the envelope in terms of the special effects that it has in the game i didn't really know before joining the games industry that the you know the the sfx department is a whole thing um, and whoever it is on <laughs> Alan Wake 2 is is really swinging for the fences. Um, but no, on a, on a narrative level, I, no, I just I don't think it is successful in those terms. I think Twin Peaks has been so like, you know, it's been so relentlessly, it's such a curiosity, really, such a weirdo show. And it has been so relentlessly mined and stripped for parts. And, you know, I was assuming when Twin Peaks, The Return came on, I was like, I bet this is shit. You know that was my, that was my ridiculous you know thought about it, and then I watched the first episode. And I was like, "Oh, this is this is going to be an eighteen-hour Lynch film. This is going to be incredible." But I, I think I was so tired of the, the the tropes because they're so specific and so unique that when they're repeated, it's very hard to kind of um, you know. I think Silent Hill Two is a far far better adaptation of of, of Twin Peaks, despite not really having anything in common with it. But it has that kind of um, layered narrative, uh, that that kind of mix of of the domestic and the cosmic, which I think is so hard to pull off um, well. Uh, and I think it's so easy to get just sort of lost in the mire of of kind of a cosmology that it's really hard to care about. Um, yeah, hmm. I really do like some of the the, uh, the the effects, though. I mean, they are it, it is a you know. A, aesthetically extraordinary uh game in that regard it's so good it's where you are it's worth playing for that aspect to be honest it's worth Mm. buying and playing to see the incredible like facial capture they've done is just like remarkable every character really pops out at you when they look at you when they talk to you you really feel the, the the conflict within them all that kind of stuff is is just top tier top of the class stuff sorry interrupted you but yeah the the moments where um you are uh, moving t- through two spaces that are superimposed upon each other, two different environments that blur together simultaneously. I'm not sure I've seen something 
uh, as successful as the trick of of rendering them both and overlaying them in a way which is disorienting and meaningful. I think I would also say that the the mixed media stuff, the use of film, is unprecedented and super exciting. Like I think in in games, we've kind of we thought of a video as kind of being a kind of thing for like stupid games on Steam that cost three quid, where it's like you know. Um, uh, speed dating you know where you play a kind of right. fmv game uh you know or uh stuff from the 90s or like proper prestige um sam barlow things i think it's really interesting to see them up to see you know video and, and film footage and, and real performances captured mm. um sometimes for entire characters um really really effectively really effectively and i think it's worth thinking about a bit more in in in, in games that like I automatic like there's Alan's wife. I won't spoil what happens to her in this game, but she appears, I think, um, entirely in the form of um, filmed video diaries. Um, and because it's a, a very good actor giving a very good performance, I am just immediately more inclined to sit up and listen to her than I am even the very best um, CGI. Uh, you know CGI. Uh, you know even the best rendered character model imaginable. Mm. And I think it is, uh, you know, something that video games have, have have sort of wrestled with and sort of abandoned as a sort of dinosaur of the wing commanders of the, uh, the you know, Tim Curry <laughs> uh, sort of era. But actually, I think applied well, it can be really, really effective. Yeah. And I and I am able to relate the characters I see as as in video to the to the models I see. There's no problem like getting the emotions from one and, and applying it to another. And I think this game does a, a really great job of that too. Yeah. I mean, a part of that's just the progress of technology, right? That we've uh, achieved a certain level of realism with the, the, the 3d models now that there isn't such a, an obvious jarring uh, journey across an uncanny Valley to reach the, um, the filmic version of those same characters. No, no. And I, and I think, again, to their credit, they're, they're really bold with like showing various layers of footage at once and, and using sort of techniques from experimental movies and, and things like that to kind of, you know, really kind of bring out the kind of art gallery, uh, but in a good way, not in a boring way, <laughs> uh, vibe in this game. <laughs> well, I mean, you'd recommend people play it anyway? Yeah, I kind of do. It's spectac it's spectacular, it's extra, like as the kids say, it's it's super extra. And like all the people who are enjoying it and giving it ten out of ten and, and writing uh, you know, and performing, you know, really uh, uh, excited monologues about it on YouTube. I don't they're think they're all liars. <laughs> yeah, they're that's faking the thing, like, <laughs> <laughs> I don't think their experiences are are wrong. I mean, there's a part of me that does think they're wrong, but I don't, you know, I think it's <laughs> of course it is, but but I think, you know, if if the game sort of if you vibe with the game, and it's kind of and you're kind of on its level and you're willing to go along with it, um, then I think it's just going to be a wild ride for you, you know. But I think if you, I think if you sort of, you know, rub up a little bit against some of the, of the uh, storytelling flaws in it, then I think yeah, it can be a bit a bit a bit of a trouble a bit of a troubled process to get through to the end of that game. Mm. Um, Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, I am actually weirdly more more encouraged to carry on and play play more of it now than before. Apart from the, that, in, the detective mechanic, which I objected to to an irrational degree, as as I do with all my emotions, uh, I have no no real regulation of them anymore. 
There is a plot reason for how stupid that is, by the way. That that oh, yeah. arrives right towards the back end of the game. Yeah, mm, it doesn't okay. feel good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can only hang a lampshade on on these things so much. Like the, uh, I mean, just the idea that you can, uh, with Max Payne, a lot of the excuses made for it was, you know, that it's it's a uh, lampooning bad noir writing. <laughs> I always think. Wouldn't it be more interesting if you pastiched good writing? Uh, is there, you know, there's, it's it's a hell of a big crutch uh, to to excuse. It's a load bearing crutch. I I will just point out one really funny moment in the game very early on, which is when in it's in one of the film sequences where you're introduced to Sam Lake himself uh, on a talk show on a sort of fake in universe talk show. Um, you know, Sam Lake, the character model for Alex Whatever, who is the Max Payne stand-in. And just seeing Sam Lake, like, dutifully do the Max Payne frown sneer <laughs> face for the cameras, that's mm. really funny. It really made me laugh. Uh, <laughs> it's just something very funny about this amiable Finnish guy. You know, he does seem like a nice guy, you know, slowly turning his face into the iconic thing for a little cheap applause from an audience. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I will. Um, I will make an effort to get back to it. But I just I keep. In, the thing is, I don't have a lot of time at the moment, and uh, what time I do have to play games, I've, I've just been in, enjoying a more therapeutic experience in the lands of the Talos Principle Two, um, which is just, you know, it's it's a lot less aggravating. In, in I mean, I'm, I'm putting aside Alan Wake's Two's flaws, whatever they are, I mean, it's it's quite a hostile environment. Uh, and uh, you know, n- not a welcoming place to return to. Whereas uh, I-, I increasingly find puzzle games, third-person puzzle games set on islands, <laughs> to be my my ideal type of experience. Um, Does it have the sound of trickling water? Uh, there's, I mean, I, almost certainly. I, I mean, there's, there's definitely water. Uh, I can't rem- immediately recall a, a trickling bit of water, but there's definitely water in it, and birds, and you know, breezes. And, uh, nice music but um it's a puzzle game much like the talos principle uh the first game uh, unapologetically very philosophical uh narrative uh appended to this quite cold and cerebral puzzle game uh the first game it's necessary to explain what happens in the first game although all of the revelations that I'm about to describe, you you will in, intuit pretty quickly were you to play the first game. But uh, the first game, you are some sort of artificial entity performing uh, puzzles in a simulation as part of some sort of experiment to prompt or generate or interrogate true sentience. Um and the idea is that the the act of play itself, the act of puzzling and play and being playful, is is the thing that ferments true intelligence. And as the game progresses, there's all these uh, little bits of data in the simulation that you can access that give you fragmented uh, information about the world outside the simulation. And it becomes apparent very very quickly that uh, humanity, as we know it, is dead. Um, and in its dying act, maybe even many millennia dead by the time that you play the game. And in, in their last act, they try to create uh, a sort of artificial life 
to inherit the earth and perhaps do better than they did. Um, and it's very introspective and quite melancholy, but also very hopeful. And it uh, and it's completely uh, offensively to some people, probably explicit in the way that it, it talks about big philosophical ideals. Like you'll just have a dialogue with a computer who asks you <laughs> what you think about free will. And then depending on which of like eight different responses you get, then it gets you into this deep, uh, dialogue uh, in which, which whatever idea you put forward is then unpicked and challenged and um, uh, that was great in the first game and uh, there are some extra twists to that story but that's the thrust of it and the Talos Principle 2 picks up with the birth in inverted commas of the 1000th robot person uh, as a result of this, as a result of the simulation, in the first game, robots have succeeded. They're they're clever now, and they are being born into the real world, um, or at least, at least I presume at the point of the game I'm at that it's real. That may may not be turned out to be true, but uh, anyway, the idea is that this community of a thousand robot people continue humanity's legacy or attempt to better it. Uh, and I, I really like the narrative. Um, it's very, very heartfelt. It makes no bones about discussing what's it, what it means to be human or sentient or to have free will. Um, and this game is a lot about the challenge of seeking to progress versus uh, like a peaceful equilibrium with the environment based on the, the, the apparent perils that humanity faced. Um, and that is manifest because soon after your birth, uh, this uh, settlement of robots is visited by a, a weird entity calling itself Prometheus. Oh, jeez. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know it's all, I mean, it's like, you could say it's on the nose, but like, it's uh, they are going straight for that nose. They know what they're doing. They are I was fully nose-focused. <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing is, I mean, they, they hang they, they hang a lampshade on it. I think I've said that phrase like eight times in this podcast. Apologies. But they are Thank you for apologizing i was simmering <laughs> <laughs> i mean the these these all the characters have relations to um greek and roman myth and other other uh, philosophical constructs because the simulation that they were given to gain sentience was discussed in those terms and so their entire language is 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 very philosophical and rooted in concepts of Greek philosophy. Uh, and you know, Prometheus is famously the fellow who stole fire from the gods to share it with humanity. And so he's very much like a big, very open metaphor, uh, inviting you to be expansionist and uh, follow him for great knowledge. And so, what forth. does he? Uh, sorry to interrupt. What does he look like? Um, I mean, he manifests as a big um, cloud of purple um, uh, granules, um, okay, but yeah. then then they form into this into the into a big bearded dude who's oh, wow. then chained. Would you imagine? Um, and then there's other characters like Pandora, ah, not so keen on you being risky. <laughs> Uh, for certain reasons though but like i mean that all stuff sounds obvious but it's like it's not intended to be like you know like in max Payne one where like they like there's a there's a bunch of drug dealers called the aesir uh after the after the um after the nordic gods 
And, you know, that's meant to be like, I, I bet when Sam Lake wrote that, he thought, oh, I'm fucking clever. I'm referencing, <laughs> you know, I'm referencing some myths here. Whereas in, in the Talos Principle, like these references are totally overt. They're intentionally overt. You're meant to know that they are metaphors. And the, you know, everybody knows their metaphors. <laughs> like there's no, nobody's like, oh, I see what you did. That's very clever. That's just, 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 you know, okay, right. This is a metaphor for expansionism or, or so forth. And, um, Anyway, yeah, I mean, these are like the foundational, you know, concepts behind much of what we do as as a, as a human race. So it's like, it's sort of, it, it stands to reason that you'll be able to sort of, you know, apply them and and, and uh, personify them with, with a bit of heart and soul rather than, yeah, endless ir- irony and pastiche. Well, exactly. I mean, it's it's not it's not none of the characters necessarily believe that Prometheus is like, uh like a creature with their own volition. They obviously recognize that this is some sort of uh, projected conceit, making an invitation to them that they then have to puzzle out and then weigh against the other voices, like this other projection, Pandora. Uh, it's obviously a test being put towards this this uh, this small body of robots as they forge a new civilization. You know, What direction are they going to take? Will they pursue expansionism and maybe make the same mistakes as as their human forebears did, or will they seek some something else and perhaps limit their capabilities? And all of these things are completely expressly overtly discussed in conversations you can have with other robots um, in in their their robot home <laughs> i can't think of a word for it it's like a big um listen it's not a geodesic dome but it's a big dome uh that they've built for themselves in this beautiful landscape maybe there's but, some one of those german words for robot robots home <laughs> <laughs> we, i'll definitely try and find out what that is uh there's so as a result of this invitation, you get whisked off towards this to this island and you are tested by these various characters, not just explicitly through conversations with them, um, but primarily through the medium of puzzles, which always <laughs> feels a bit weird. <laughs> you know, I mean, like in the first game, they're like, oh, you know, puzzles might, you know, they're kind of play. Play is important for developing intelligence. And even though you're intelligent in this one, they're like, well, you know, maybe this is a, a some sort of echo of the puzzles in the simulation. Maybe that's meant to mean something. Uh, and so the characters discuss the oddity and contrivance of the puzzles in quite blatant and articulate terms. But there's just no getting around the fact that there's like this massive dichotomy between this game's philosophical aspirations and the fact that like every puzzle is just you wandering around a small series of walls, placing tripods to bounce lasers into things, <laughs> uh, to depower force fields, and then at the end you press a button which ends the level. And like uh, as puzzles, they are good and they are clever, but they are of this very, very restricted, incredibly physical feeling palette, um, and they don't even vary as much as the puzzles do in the Witness, which is you know saying something because the witness is all about just drawing a line through a maze but the things is that the witness introduced rules which flip that idea on the head and the tools added to the talus principle to in different areas 
don't really i mean they are interesting and they change how you approach puzzles but they don't do anything wildly surprising or scintillating and the sheer torrent of puzzles could be really really tiring however those puzzles are scattered uh now through uh these beautiful ruins in large open environments on this island and as you walk between these puzzles, not only are there other robots from your party wandering around, and they all have these interesting personalities and perspectives, and you can have engaging and thoughtful conversations with them, um, but there are also other things to discover there that require lateral thinking rather than the sort of direct puzzle brain uh, puzzles that, that exist as the kind of core of the game. And I found the balance of that to actually be pretty enlivening. So you could sort of bash through four puzzles in a go, and then I can just spend you know, like 15 minutes wandering around these beautiful environments, um, finding other secrets or odd things that make you go, oh, I wonder if, you know, what if I did this, whether something else would happen. And it is really beautiful. Like the first game uh, was quite meditative in its own way, but it was very overt about it being a simulation and it was very overtly deploying uh, in sequence the aesthetics of uh, like. Uh, Egyptian, Roman, and and medieval ruins as part of its very overt allegory for the progress of civilization and philosophical thought that it's meant to be inducting you through as a like a burgeoning consciousness. And this game is all about concrete. <laughs> it's like, but 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 it's really interesting to compare it to like Remedy's idea of concrete, which is in, you know in control, uh, which it also trades in uh, brutalism. It's very austere. Uh, it, it does have a sort of beauty to it, but it's very menacingly inhuman, I would say, in control. Like these environments are stark and they're terrifying spaces to some degree. Um, or, or awesome, perhaps, rather than terrifying. But like there's a certain inhumanity to the carbuncles in that and often in other games which deploy brutalism. Um, but the concrete here, the architecture in the Tower's Principle 2 is is really nice it's it's a lovely place to be it's just the, the, the structures are these kind of artful playful things they are partly collapsed so they're covering greenery but i mean that's that's maybe intentional and it's very it's incredibly they're just these incredibly zen environments to to be in and i don't know the I think more and more about death, Jamie, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> uh, like specifically the idea about like uh, at the end of my life being like embedded in a simulation matrix style. You know, like when I get too old or senile to function in the real world, I think like, God, I hope that like puzzle games <laughs> are around, uh, like a sort of uh, to offer like a sort of palliative digital eternity that I could just wander around in. And I think I'd happily have my dying brain. Uh, locked forever in the Talos Principle 2, which isn't perhaps the accolade that you'll see on the side of the box, but it is an accolade nonetheless. I think I'd like to um, have my consciousness uploaded into a video archive that Sam Barlow could turn into a game, which you can then explore. (laughs) You'll have to get your tits out. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I don't know if you're prepared for the amount of nudity. I am prepared. Um, and I mean, a lot of it will be clicking through me eating different buckets of chicken in different chicken restaurants across the years. But once you stip that, stitch that tapestry together, there will be a, a force unleashed upon mankind that they have they are not expecting. 
Well, I, I look forward to uh, doing the boob search uh, on, on, on you and uh, discovering strange clips that uh, end up focusing on a cigar in a suggestive way. <laughs> Carry on, immortality. Uh, <laughs> no, it's, uh, Talos Principle sounds good. Is, are, the pro- are the puzzles, um, are they of the sort of positioning lasers to bounce off things variety? Yes, that is that is the puzzles that it trades in almost exclusively, except when you're except like the those are like and they're explicitly puzzles. Like you you've gone to this island and there are a bunch of things that are clearly placed there as puzzles for you, the robot, to perform. Uh, everybody's talking about why they're puzzles. Isn't that a bit silly? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you do them nonetheless, and they are very enjoyable as puzzles. But there is a sort of, I think this is true of the the Talos Principle one as well. There's a sort of physicality to them because you are in first person and able to move very fluidly like you could in portal for example there's a sense in which uh you have a greater freedom than you're allowed and sometimes you'll do things like um so so for example if there's a you can get these these tripods which disrupt force fields so you, you have to put them down and they shoot out this little beam and the force field it's pointed at will stop being a force field and you can walk through it. But if you walk through to the other side of that force field and try and pick up the tripod that's facing you, facing the force field and currently disabling it, you'll be pushed back through to the other side of the force field where the tripod is. And it's sort of slightly jarring because I understand why they can't allow that to happen from a puzzle design perspective. Because I mean, or you know, it'd be strange if you know the force field just suddenly started again and cut off both your arms or something like that <laughs> as you reach through it. But like, but there's a lot of things like that which it's it's not as positionally free with its simulation as the the first person perspective makes you assume it might be. So you can't actually. Um, there are, there are ways in which you can sort of get out of uh, the puzzles, but they are designed ways. Usually there's not, you can't really glitch your way through this stuff. Um, it's quite rote and pres- prescriptive in a way which is not very visible to begin with. But the actual, um, the actual puzzle design itself is, is very, uh, is very fun and, um, is it is quite cerebral and, and dry. I don't know. I, I don't really know how to describe what I mean by dry. It's more of just a uh, a sense you get. Like uh, puzzles do have an aesthetic, uh, and the the manner and pace of them do change the way that you feel about them. That I don't really, I haven't really read enough to say to to have a language to describe them aesthetically. Has it but got there's... a bit of the uh, of mist to it, perhaps of of that of of mist and its descendants? Yes, in the environment outside of those explicit puzzles. Definitely does, yeah. There is a sense that this this is a kind of wondrous um, landscape, which is like almost like a, a carnival for you, or, or a, you know a playground. And there are lateral thinking puzzles, of the kind you find in Mist. But when it comes to the 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 actual the kind of cr- the very overt puzzle design, it feels much more. Um, it's much more rulesy. Sometimes I feel like the trajectory towards revelation isn't all that satisfying like sometimes i i reach the conclusion of something and it it feels a bit of a letdown it's like the 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 reason i didn't get to it earlier is because it's not because i hadn't thought of the thing to do it's because i had weirdly 
just momentarily thought that I couldn't do that. Like, oh, I discounted that as an option for some reason. And then I realized I can do that after all, and it makes the puzzle elementary to solve. And somehow that's very different from the kinds of revelations you get in other puzzle games, like in Portal, where perhaps the 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 solution evades you until the very last moment and you get this sort of eureka which hasn't at all been foreshadowed and that doesn't like always in, happen uh, in, in this in something like cocoon um which mm. i think is my game of the year by the way um yeah yeah where it's like the urge uh, just like fiddle with this universe until you break it you know it's that kind of mm. it wants you to kind of galaxy brain your way out of this scenario um in a kind of way that feels very like sort of brute forcey and I, I like it has a kind of uh, you know a kind of transcendent transcendental quality to it almost of like blow up this plane of existence to get you up into the next one um which i found immensely satisfying mm. uh, i think that would be a better game to prompt sentience frankly than the puzzles in Tower's principles <laughs> like if, if you go by the Tower's principles own philosophy that play itself uh helps to evoke sentience then the way that the puzzles are in Cocoon feels much more playful to me. Like you say, it's almost like you're being let loose and you just try a bunch of fun things. And uh, eventually by waggling all the bits, <laughs> you get to the get to the solution. But it's 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 fun to waggle them. And then but but in the Talents Principle, it doesn't feel like you're ever really freewheeling, experimenting with a bunch of cool tools. You're just in an environment and you're like, okay, I've just got a figure out this solution top down in my brain before i make a single move you know and there aren't um, any like and, biomechanical sphincters to uh, emerge from or, or open up no no a real a real disappointing lack of pumpable sphincters <laughs> i would say yeah well there you go that's my review of the talus principle 2 excellent it does sound intriguing i think it's it's um you know, I think something like Portal, which is obviously, you know, a pretty d direct influence on this stuff, you know, the fact that you're trapped and you have to escape and there is a robot trying to kill you, um, you know, throughout, you know, for me, that always um, motored me along in, in those in those two games. You know, there's a really, like, mm. key objective, which is escape. And the, the testing in itself is the prison, right? That's the that's the kind of the thing that you need to somehow escape from. And I think that is such a perfect narrative motor for a puzzle game, isn't it? It kind mm. of draws attention, it draws attention to its puzzle nature and makes that the, the kind of the, the, the personality of, of the being that's taunting you. And it sounds like, I haven't played either of these games, so I'm just sort of speculating. It sounds like this game is a real attempt to kind of do a, to do a take on that idea to kind of do an inverse version of that idea mm. perhaps um, yeah it's not so much about escape it's more that i'm propelled by the sense that oh i do want these guys to do well <laughs> you know <laughs> i do i do want them to succeed where humanity failed yes and because you may is... be transplanted into their world on upon your death so you want you want to keep them sweet <laughs> yeah exactly yeah as i you know wandering around with my alzheimer's brain trying to do the same puzzle again wrongly for the 50th time the little robot man comes and vanilla sky ushers too. me down come and come and sit down for a little bit on this nice bench listen to the trickling water as i'm sure there is in the game almost so, guaranteed trickling water yeah if you if you're making a puzzle game you've got to have 
you've got to have some trickling water there. Yeah, if you um, can't have pumpable sphincters, you've got to have trickling water. That's the rules. Absolutely. <laughs> um, there's one other game I wanted to very briefly mention, just as in oh, yeah. a kind of um, public service type way, which is called... Um, it, I, I mentioned it because it's free on the Epic Games Store if you're an Amazon Prime customer. And it's called Invincible Presents Atom Eve. I don't, oh, know if yeah. you've seen, I don't know if you've seen the Amazon show Invincible. I haven't, but I was aware of this game. Yeah, it's a... Of reading an yeah. article. <laughs> so, so, well, yeah, that was the, tons it, of fascinating anecdotes. Sorry. No, no, absolutely. So Invincible is, I, you know, I often think that one of the, you know, I hate the uh, big streamers and what they've done to uh, television in almost every respect. But I think one area in which they've really improved things actually is in animation. There's lots of really wonderful animation going on on Netflix and Amazon Prime. And Invincible is a really, really good kind of straight down the line superhero um, kind of story. Uh, you know, about a, a guy whose dad is basically Superman and he becomes a superhero. It's all pretty rope, but uh, incredibly well uh, kind of presented with real heart and soul and amazing action sequences. And this is a visual novel based on one of the characters in that show slash comic uh, with light RPG kind of mechanics. Um, I'm always surprised they don't make more of these. I know they're very popular in, in, in Japan, but... You know, I found I played through the sort of first half of this, uh, you know, uh, last night, and and really enjoyed it. It's it's kind of bright and and kind of very girly in a funny kind of way. It's very kind of pink, and everyone's very pretty and attractive. Um, but I found it a real. It kind of went down really easily, you know. And I uh, it tells the story of, of of the show from from her perspective. And I just I just kind of recommend it, particularly if you can get it free. It's just a kind of uh, I found it very enjoyable and kind of relaxing to play. Um, and I thought the writing was, you know, tonally, you know, really good. It didn't try and be too clever, clever. It, didn't, it wasn't sort of dripping with, you know, the kind of um, Life is Strange style kind of, uh, you know, f- faux teen irony. It just felt very considered and, hmm. and well done. So, yeah, I, I just wanted to mention that in case anyone was in the mood for something like that. Hmm, intriguing. Yes, I might check it out. I'm, I'm getting more and more into... Uh fairly low levels of interaction uh visual novel stuff i quite like it if there's a there's dialogue trees in the stats and other sort of interactive systems but i I quite like the the, those sorts of games now are you going to play umineko when they cry uh i have have no idea that's what it should i that's a game you play that if you listen to Matthew Castle talk on a podcast for long enough, he will bring up and mention. Oh, like, God, I no, eventually... he has. That's where it rang a bell from. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, you know, like, it's like 80 hours long or something. And you just push a button while a, while a family of uh, Japanese people shout at each other. There's no branching. There's no anything like that. But it is amazing. Like, it's one of those things where you play it and you, you immediately realize that you're in for something really special. But it is completely immense and completely insane <laughs> and full of kind of mad um like japanese kind of cultural uh, sort of oddities and, and kind of weird um you know alien concepts to to us which the translation does a fair job of explaining as well so it's kind of a it's just fascinating um but yeah i think i've played it for about 30 hours and nothing's happened yet but it's great <laughs> <laughs> well Shall we end the podcast there, Jamie? 
Yes, I did want to mention just in terms of plugs that um, Tom Francis uh, uh, and also Mike Cook, who's been on the podcast before and is an AI expert and academic, both did talks at the um, Roguelike Celebration, which is an amazing event that takes place every year that's always got like really good, really mad um, talks, um, which kind of take roguelikes as their sort of starting place, but go off into all sorts of um, weird and wonderful um, places. And yeah, both of their talks are really, really good and are on YouTube if you search for um, Roguelike Celebration. And we've also put them in the Discord. So I just wanted to shout those out because I thought they were both um, uh, really good if you fancied a little dose of, of Tom and Mike. They are. They are indeed very good. I'll put them in the show notes as well. Thank you all. That's it, though. That's all the time. If you'd like to send us a question, you can do so at questions at creightandcrowbar.com. We probably will answer them at some point. <laughs> Maybe. All these recordings are uploaded as videos to YouTube. You can find other stuff by us. Uh, the address for that is youtube.com slash crowbar. Thanks, as always, to our backers on Patreon and my cat, who's yowling. <laughs> you can back us, too, at patreon.com slash crowbar, where you can simply join our lovely Discord community, the link for which is on our website, crateandcrowbar.com that's it I've been Marsh Davis and I'll promptly stop existing the second that Jamie finishes writing about me I've been Jamie Britton I will never stop writing because there is a time loop which prevents me from doing it that's an actual plot beat in the story oh the god <laughs> <laughs> goodbye bye <laughs>